Bibles, I want you to look at the book of Acts this morning. And uh, I know that many of you have probably thought about the book of Acts as being perhaps a transitional book. As I was reading it, studying it myself, it seemed to me like God was showing that we go back to the book of Genesis uh, and we find the beginning of life. We find the beginning of a lot of things. It helps us understand relationships and responsibilities and what God expects and so on. I go to the book of Acts to kind of understand a little bit more of what the New Testament church uh, should look like. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, We call the last book before, of course, uh, Revelation, Jude, the Acts of the Apostates. And uh, but looking at the book of Acts helps us understand a little bit more of the early church. And so what did it look like? And what was the purpose of it? And why do we gather like this? And maybe you have an idea of organized church, maybe perhaps as a religion and and you go to church because it's the religious thing to do. Um, but I want to share with you that gathering with Christians um, can be done anywhere, any place, um, any time. Um, God desires for us to even gather, if you would, so much more as you see the day approaching. And so, but I want you to look at these verses this morning, maybe in some new light, because we're always talking about the tongues issue. That's in Acts chapter 2. We talk about the Holy Spirit coming and moving upon the people and so on. But for us to be able to understand really the sermon that Peter gives and the the bulk of the message is we're going right back to what I believe is the main thing for the church in our culture today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there's any error that's going on within the church today, I, I don't think there's any other error other than us not being a voice into the community uh, for with the gospel of Christ. And so that's our purpose. That's uh, what, what we do. Um, you know, we have a Friday night program. Praise the Lord for those that have been faithful to the Reformers Unanimous program. And uh, we're going to see that grow. We continue. I've got another man that I'm actually trying to ha- bring him in here to help us maybe form a men's home, something. We've got to have some. We've got to move forward for what God has. Uh, it, it can't be just a stagnant pool of people gathering like a country club. They need to be actually bringing people in so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and so they can sense the forgiveness of their sin. And, and I think it would be good for us to remember uh, when we're giving the gospel to people that that is absolutely essential and it goes even to the church at Thessalonica. In the beginning, it says in verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, listen what it says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power, that's the same word for dunamis, or dynamite, and in the Holy Ghost, and in the much assurance, as you know what manner of men you were among you, uh, we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. And I can't get over the impact that the, that the gospel gave to the church at Thessalonica because it didn't come in just word only. It wasn't just in the knowledge. It was a powerful spirit from above that moved onto the heart of the people that would cause them to turn from their gods to the living God, but not just to turn to him, but to turn to him and serve him, and serve him the way that he desires for you to serve and be uh, profitable 
with your Christian life. And so when we're talking about the gospel, you'd probably sit down with somebody and they would say, give me a good reason why I should believe the gospel. Well, there are several reasons why. I think it would be good for us to remember that Jesus told us to. If that's not alone enough reason for you to believe the gospel, then there's no hope for your soul. Uh, If you're not going to listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself, he said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. It's in the scriptures, Mark chapter 1, verse number 15. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not not, uh, perhaps uh, very difficult to know and understand. As I was leading a couple to Christ yesterday, I was talking to them and I was saying, do you believe that Jesus Christ came to earth? Yes, I do. Do you believe that he was crucified and that he, was, that he died and he was buried in a tomb? Yes, I do. Do you believe he rose from the dead? They thought for a minute and they said, we do believe that he was risen from the dead. So you understand the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, give us that gospel and understanding that it is the death and it is the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? And why should I believe the gospel? I think it's important for us to understand for several reasons, but I only give you a few this morning. Maybe I'll give you four, maybe I'll give you five. But let me tell you the first thing, and the first reason is because of prophecy fulfilled. And look what it says in verse number 15 in the text. It says in verse number 15, 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, And all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. Listen to what I'm going to say. It's a sermon. He's going to preach to him. And this is what he says. For these are not drunken, as you suppose it is, but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons shall your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, they shall Preach, basically. Verbally preach the word of God, both men and women, speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs of the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. And by the way, these are mountain peaks of prophecy before that great day of the Lord. Look at verse 20. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great day, that great and notable day of the Lord come. And before that comes, there'll be certain things that will happen. And we see that happening now as far as the perilous times that are supposed to come. But if I'm reading the scripture right, it's actually saying that we should believe the gospel. And Peter is standing up and preaching and he's telling them to receive Christ and turn your eyes upon Jesus Christ. And why should you do that? It's because prophecy tells us that we should. And so when we think about prophecy, it's kind of unique. Because all the books of the Bible that were, uh, among all, all the books that, uh, uh, that were written, the Bible ac- accurately foretells specific events and details 
uh, many years, sometimes centuries before it happened, before they occurred. And and approximately 2,500 prophecies appeared in the pages of the Bible. About 2,000 of of these prophecies have already been fulfilled to the letter. No errors. The remaining 500 of these prophecies are in the future. And they are to be seen unfolding even as we live our lives right now. Since the probability for anyone of these prophecies having been fulfilled by chance... Um, averages less than 1 in 10. That's figured very conservatively. And since the prophecies are, for the most part, independent of one another, the odds of all of these prophecies being fulfilled is 1 out of 2,000 zeros afterwards, after the 1. That's a lot. So for all of these prophecies to be fulfilled to the letter, you you look into it and you said, I I should believe the Bible because of the prophecies that are being fulfilled and because the word of God is true and being fulfilled. I was thinking of this one in the 5th century. A prophet named Zechariah declared that the Messiah would be betrayed for the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver, according to the Jewish law, and also that this money would be used to buy a burial ground for Jerusalem's poor foreigners. And so that was a prophecy that was actually written in Zechariah, chapter number 11, verses 12 and 13. Let me read them for you. And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price. If not, forbear. And so they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it under the potter. A goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So the Bible writers and secular historians both record 30 pieces of silver as the sum paid to Judas Iscariot for betraying Jesus Christ. And they indicate that the money then purchased the potter's field used, just as predicted, for the burial of poor alien people. In Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10, the Bible records it, that this was actually done in Matthew chapter 27, 3 through 10. Probability of chance fulfillment, um, one in a trillion that something like that could ever happen. But it happened. In fact, the prophecy to the letter was fulfilled about how much they would pay for Jesus Christ and what the money would go for to buy Potter's Field. I was uh, not too long ago up in Juneau, years ago actually, it's been 40-some years ago probably, or no, probably about 30 years ago I was there and I saw a little small graveyard and they called it the Potter's Field. It's where the poor people were buried. It's interesting that the money that was supposed to go to purchase Jesus went to buy potter's field. But some, another one, some 400 years before the crucifixion uh, was invented, both Israel's king, David, and the prophet Zechariah described that the Messiah's death in words that perfectly depict that mode of execution. They said that the body would be pierced and that none of his bones would be broken, contrary to the customary procedure in cases of crucifixion where they would break the legs 
But the Bible actually explains the crucifixion in Psalm 22, several years before it happened. The Bible says in Zechariah um, chapter 12, verse number 10, but listen to Psalm 34, 20, it says, He keeps all my bones, not one of them is broken. The Bible says that in Psalm 34, verse number 20. Verse number 10 of Zechariah 12, it says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And again, the historians and the New Testament writers confirm the fulfillment that Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross and his extraordinarily quick death eliminated the need for them to break the bones. And so a spear then was thrust into his side. And, and, and the probability of this happening the way it did, it goes on even further. He says here in the, in the, in the writings, the probability of chance fulfillment is 1 in 1013. So it'd be, it'd be 1 with... Uh, you know, 10 th- zeros or 13 zeros after it, that would be one in 10 trillion. That this would actually happen the way it did. Some would say, why should I believe the gospel? Because of prophecy fulfilled. Why should I be comforted that God's promises are going to happen? Because of prophecy fulfilled. And if he fulfilled 2,000 of them already, do you think the next 500 won't be fulfilled you have a screw loose if you think they're not going to be fulfilled. you got something wrong with you that even medication won't help. Because Jesus Christ will fulfill every single prophecy in the scriptures. And if we think that we're going to get out of this culture and this generation alive without Christ, no, if you do not have Christ when you stop breathing, you are going to a place called hell, and you will spend there, and you will be there throughout all eternity. And you know what? The last time I checked, eternity is a long, long time. But if you have trusted Christ, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so if we think we can get another way, Oprah Winfrey is not telling you the truth. Did you ever think that maybe people on the television are not telling you the truth? Our culture is lying to us. You say, well, what is truth? The scriptures are true. The Bible says that God is true and every man's a liar. So that in Sunday school, that every single one of us in this room are manipulators. We try to do things perhaps at times, and some perhaps less than others. But you find yourself, the more selfish you get, the more desiring for that peace and that Happiness that you crave for when you're high or when you're drunk. You'll do anything to get that. And you'll manipulate anybody just to have that. And I want to tell you that your end is not good. And it can be right around the corner if you're not careful in these days. So it's interesting also that the exact location and the construction sequence of Jerusalem's nine suburbs were predicted by Jeremiah about 2,600 years ago. He referred to the time of this building as the last days. That is the time and periods of Israel's second rebirth as a nation. It's found in Jeremiah 31, verse number 38 through 40. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it to the hill of Garab, and shall compass in Goath and the whole valley of the dead bodies of the ashes and all the fields unto the brook Kidron, unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy unto the Lord, and it shall not be plucked up nor thrown down anymore forever. So this rebirth of this particular location happened in 1948. The construction of the nine suburbs has gone forward precisely in the location that Jeremiah said it was going to happen. And so you'd say, what are the probability of the chance of that fulfillment? One in 1018. So you're talking about 18 zeros after the one. That actually would be one in a quintillion. And I can't even think that much. But that's how much time uh, and, and precisely uh, was given and showing that actually the, the, the temple was going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem would be given back the land. So given that the Bible proves so re- reliable a document, there is every reason to expect that the remaining 500 prophecies, those slated for the time of the end, also will be fulfilled to the, to the last letter. And who can afford to ignore these coming events? much less miss out on the immeasurable blessings offered to anyone or, or anyone and everyone who submits to the control of the Bible's author, who is Jesus Christ. Would a reasonable person take lightly God's warnings of judgment for those who reject that they know to be true about Jesus Christ in the Bible or reject Jesus and complain and actually would claim their, their, on, their, on their lives? And as I was thinking about this, I have to go back to this story and this sermon that Peter was preaching. When, pre- when, when, when Peter got their attention, he stood up. He's actually preaching the word of God. He's saying that prophecy fulfilled is the reason why you should listen to the word of God. Prophecy fulfilled in the book of Joel. Talked about the Holy Spirit being poured upon. And what was happening there in, in, in Acts chapter 2 we see the Holy Spirit being poured upon them, and there was the inner working of the Holy Spirit. There was what we had called tongues, and this was actually a, a tongue that was being spoken, supernatural power of, of the disciples to be able to speak in the tongue, but the people heard them in their national language. It wasn't the, the, the tongues of, of, of churches today, where they actually don't know what the person's saying. There would be, in some cases, translators to be able to translate what is being said. But overall, God gave the disciples the ability to be able to preach the gospel to all the nations that were there so they could actually speak it out and they would hear them in their own nation, in their own tongue. That's pretty powerful. I remember years ago being at First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. And many of you may know of Jack Hiles, and I don't care what you think about him. I don't know if you, whatever. But that church did something that no other church would do. They opened their doors to bus routes, and at one time they had 200 buses that they were taking into the Chicago area and bringing kids in. And, and there was complaining because there was a lot of oil on the, on the driveway. And so the pastor got up and said, you know, before the buses came, we had, we had chari- you know, 
carriages coming in here with horses, and you know it was on the parking lot back then. But there was no complaints back then when they used to bring him in, right? And it was interesting because he brought all these people. And one time, when one of the preachers was up there, this woman came forward that actually needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. She just sensed the Spirit of God. She was from Japan. And one of the deacons put his arm around her and sat down with the scriptures and showed her, and every word that came out of his mouth, she understood it in her own tongue. You say, that could never happen. I believe it happened. And I believe she, with tears in her eyes, received Jesus Christ as her personal Savior because God had mercy on her. Now, whatever happened there, you can dissect it and evaluate it and kind of, if you want to, think it away. But that woman got saved back in 1970s, I think it was 1980, actually. And what an incredible blessing to know that God can use anybody and he'll use his word to be able to help people understand that the gospel is true. And if Jesus said uh, that you need to repent, that you need to believe the gospel, then don't you think that's enough reason? But the Bible gives it really clear that we ought to because of the prophecy fulfilled. Now, it's interesting, too, in the passage, because we're actually seeing that there was people that were claiming they were drunk with wine. Listen to what Joel has to say in Joel, the the Old Testament minor prophet. He says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, preach the gospel. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, and in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in heavens and in earth and blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And before that great and terrible day of the Lord come, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So why should we believe the gospel, first of all? Because of prophecy fulfilled. The second reason, I really believe, is because of the miracles performed. And I want you to look at verse number 22 with me again uh, in the text. Acts chapter 2, verse number 22. It says, And ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. So I really believe that it's miracles performed also. I I love going through the book of Mark, and we're going through the book of Mark on on, uh, Wednesday nights, and it's talking about these miracles and how personal they were before the Lord The Bible actually says in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, that came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher that comes from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. One of the commentaries said, except God be with him. These words show the effect of Christ's miracles. See, miracles arrest attention and challenge investigation and prove that his works were from above and that he was from God. Acts chapter 10, verse number 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost 
and with power and how he went doing good and healing all them that were possessed and oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And I'm telling you this morning that the power of God is needed in our culture today. The Holy Spirit power of God to push away the flood of all this nonsense and all of this strange thinkings and all of these strange feelings that people are having today. Without God, we are doomed. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything. Without Jesus Christ being exalted again, our culture will cease and we will be no more. It's not a game. We can't just have a band up here and think, well, we wooed ourselves and we, were, we felt good for a little while. Well, feeling good for a little while doesn't do anything. You want to feel good for a little while? Go to the, go to the carnival. Get up on that, on that thing and go a little high if you want to. Or go on the tilt-a-wheel or whatever they call them if you want to feel good. But if you want God's presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, then get on your hands and knees and and beg God and say, help me, O God, change me on the inside, take away my sin, and give me the power of the Holy Spirit to live and do what is right even when no one's watching. And listen to me, he will answer your prayer because he is there. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to walk right. He wants to have fellowship with you and not just a little bitty fellowship. He wants to have all of you, just like you need him. He desires to have you. I think it's important for us to understand that there are two accounts in the book of Mark that are not recorded in any other of the Gospels. They're very personal. Mark chapter 7. I want to turn there if I can. Mark chapter 7. I know I'm cutting on time here, but I need this is important. In Mark chapter 7, if you want to look at this first with me, I think it would be good. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, that's Lebanon, he came out of the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Decapolis is the city of ten. Ten, it's a decade of, decade of cities, how we get that. Metropolitan, an area where there was ten cities, and, and he comes through the coast of that, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then they bring unto him one that was deaf. And an impediment in his speech. He couldn't speak, right? He was, he was dumb. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal was published. Look, if you, if you would, with me at chapter 8, verse number 22. And he comes to Bethsaida, Bethsaida, I'm so, sorry, Bethsaida. And they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And then he spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him and asked him, what he saw. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after he put his hands again 
to his eyes, he made him look up, and he was restored, and he saw every man clearly. Can I share with you that these two accounts aren't in any of the other Gospels? But these two accounts were very, very important to Mark. And I think it was important for us to be able to remember that he can open your ears so you can hear the truth. Because you've been, you've been not able to hear what God wants you to hear. Because of the noise of the culture, because of what's going on, you have maybe selective hearing. God wants to open up your ears so you can hear the truth. But he also wants to open up your eyes. Not a little bit so you see men as trees, but that you would open your eyes so you could see men clearly and their needs. This was the purpose of the miracles that Jesus was actually doing. And for us to understand this today, that why should I believe the gospel? Because of the miracles he performed. He came to this earth to do miracles, to get the attention, to show signs but he came mostly that you would acknowledge him as being your Savior, that you would repent, and that you would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many in this room, and by the way, let me just share this. I'm going to say it. and I don't care. People are coming into our country illegally. You know you can't get to heaven illegally? Did you know that? You can't. It's awful quiet in here. You say, well, you should be saying that stuff in church, then they'll never do it, okay? I'm the pastor, so I'm going to do it. You cannot get into heaven illegally. You cannot find another way. No matter what you try to do, no matter how you try to trick, no matter what, change your name or whatever, you cannot get into heaven any other way than the door. And the door is Jesus Christ, period. So we can play games in our culture, and we can allow people to come into America, this fine land, and maybe they come in any way they want to or whatever. I'm not too concerned about that as much as I'm concerned about where I'm going here in a little while. I don't know if it'll be today. I don't know if it'll be next month. I don't know if it'll be 15 years from now. I don't know. But where I'm going, there'll be no sin. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no deceivers. There'll be no one being deceived. There'll be no liars there. We will be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever in a place called heaven. And why we should believe that? Prophecy fulfilled. But also, it's important for us to remember that not just prophecy fulfilled, but the miracles that Jesus Christ had done. And because of the empty tune, and he does that in 22 through 33, it's interesting as we think about these verses because I'm just going to read through my points here because of the empty tune. And so what does this tell us? This tells us that the religious council and the wicked hands could not hold Jesus down. Religion couldn't destroy Jesus and it still can't. Today in which we live in, death and all its power could not hold him in the grave. That all who trusted him will not be moved stable enough that when agitated, you will not waver. Verse number 25, verse number 26, that my heart may rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, 26. Chapter 2, verse 28, that Jesus Christ has given us life and life more abundantly. Also in verse 29 through 30, that Christ will rule forever. The Bible actually says it, and it was part of Peter's sermon. 
The disciples were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, 31 through 32. And so the seal of the finished work and the sign of the glorious triumph and the pledge of the coming resurrection, the certainty of future judgment, all of that is true. And we look forward to that if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We've been given the promise of the Holy Spirit, verse number 33, and therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. He has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. You actually have the evidence of it. So why should we believe the gospel? I think we should believe the gospel because of prophecy fulfilled, because of miracles performed, because the tomb is empty. But the greatest thing is look around you and see the changed lives. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And if anybody thinks of changing humanity, but nobody really thinks about changing themselves. I heard an illustration years ago. It was when the railroad, of course, were first introduced to the U.S. And some of the folks were afraid of the downfall of our nation because of the railroads getting put in. Um, Here's a part of a letter that was written January 31st, 1829. As you may know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at an enormous speed, up to 15 miles an hour by engines, which in addition to the endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fires to the crops, scaring the livestock and frightening men and women. These trains need to go. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Martin Van Buren, Government of New York. I thought about that. I thought about how we live today in such a rush, rush culture. In fact, you guys are, as soon as I'm done here, you're heading to get some lunch. Amen? But real quick, like, so that you can get home, maybe get some stuff done, take a nap, because the average person thinks that Sunday is just another day off. It's not just another day off. It's the Lord's day to serve Him and to worship Him and to honor Him. And we have reasons to do that. I think about an alcoholic became a believer, and was asked how he could possibly believe the nonsense of the Bible and all of the miracles. And someone said to him, you don't believe that Jesus really changed the water into wine? He said, I sure do. Because in our house, Jesus changed the whiskey into furniture. How much money you spend on your drugs and your alcohol? You could be driving a nice car today. But you have chosen to go ahead and live the way you do because you want to feed self and desire. Listen to me, there's only one way to be delivered, and that's through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Because he has defeated the foe. The Bible says in Psalm 108, verse 13, Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. And here's what one commentary said about it, and I'm all done. He said this, he shall tread down our enemies. They shall fall before him, and as they lie prostrate, he shall march over them. And all the host of his people with him. This is a prophecy. 
It was fulfilled to David, but it remains true to the son of David. And all of those that are on his side, the church shall yet arouse herself to praise her God with all her heart. And then with songs and Hosanna, she will advance to the great battle and her foes shall be overthrown and utterly crushed by the power of her God. And the Lord's glory shall be above all the earth. Send it in our time, O Lord, I beseech you that we have the power of the gospel one more time before you come. If you're here this morning and you never believe the gospel, today is to believe. You say, but it's simple, Pastor. That's all I got to do? Yes. Turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. Say this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I have sinned against you. By the way, every person in this room is a sinner. There are sinners and then there are saved sinners. And by the way, if you think you don't sin, just ask the people around you. They'll tell you your faults. They will. Super easy. But let me tell you this, that if you're burdened right now and your your backpack that you're carrying of all that sin and you're saying, what am I going to do with this? Just lower your shoulder and roll it over onto God, to the cross of Jesus Christ, and he will take your sin burden and he'll exchange it and give you his righteousness. And you can be a new man and a new lady this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know where you're at spiritually, but maybe there was a need for you to be here this morning and hear this message. Maybe for the first time it was explained to you that that you are the problem and you've got issues and you need to give those to the Lord. Maybe you've been among the lost and found and you've been lost and wandering and, and now it's coming back to you that God loves you. He's always loved you. And proof of that love is that you're breathing today. Proof of that love is that you're going through hard times. He loves you, and he'll chasten you, and he'll get your attention. And when he does, he will pull you up onto his lap, and he'll hold you until you stop crying. That's our God. He loves you that much. Maybe you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I need to make some changes. I've never put my faith and my trust in Jesus alone, but I want to today. Jesus alone. Would you pray for me? No one's looking around. I'll pray for you. I won't point you out, but I will pray for you. Just lift up your hand and say, pray for me. I've got to make some changes in my life. I need to straighten out some things. Would you please pray for me? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else with these? Anyone else? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Dear Christian, how long has it been since you've really done business with God? Maybe it's today that he's pulling at your heart. You trusted him at one time and then you walked away. Well, listen, he's like the prodigal's father. He sees you coming back to him. When will God run? He'll run when he sees you coming back to him and he'll embrace you and he'll pull you close. He is your God. Maybe you just need to come back to him. Let's have an invitation and if you need to come this morning, we'll give you time to do that. Let's all stand, have your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in the invitation in Jesus' name, amen.